your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12 this morning. Uh, thank you for all of that wonderful, wonderful music. And uh, thank you for um, engaging yourself in worship this morning. Uh, that is uh, just uh, wonderful. I thought Pastor Parker was going to start preaching. and That would have been all right. And uh, uh, Pastor Parker, he's getting, the, uh, he's getting the bug. Do you see it? We keep talking about it. I think he's getting real close. He's getting real close. So one day he's just going to get up here and let loose, and we're all going to have a shouting time, I'm telling you. Uh, Hebrews chapter number 12. Today I want to speak to you on the subject of empty your worry wagon and bring it to Jesus. Uh, you know, over the past couple of weeks we've been dealing with missions, and we've had a wonderful time as we uh, learned about our missionary over in Iraq, and uh, that's doing a wonderful work there, Brother Irfan. And uh, then we uh, talked uh, last week with Brother Woody Baker, who's over in Papua New Guinea uh, and uh, in the Pacific there, doing a great job with Bible translation. And uh, then Brother Joey Kellett, who's very close to being able to go to uh, Thailand, Bangkok, and uh, begin his work there. And, and uh, prior to those two weeks, I spoke to you for two weeks on the subject of a beautiful mind. And we talked about, out of Philippians chapter number four, uh, about thinking on these things and uh, really kind of uh, looked at that subject. And today I know it's Palm Sunday and I know it's a, a celebratory time as we talk about uh, uh, the Passion Week of, of Jesus Christ. And, uh, but the Lord has not laid it on my heart to uh, uh, share that with you this morning. Uh, he has laid it on my heart for this message out of Hebrews chapter number 12, but not to diminish anything that's happening this week as obviously it is the uh, very most important time in, a, in Christianity and in the life of a Christian when we talk about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I can tell you next week when we come on Easter Sunday, uh, we are going to get a heavy dose of that and uh, we're very excited about uh, all the things that are going to be happening next Sunday with our Easter uh, uh, drama and uh, musical and, and all the things that will be happening. And I'm telling you, it is, it is going to be an amazing, life-changing day that you are not going to want to miss. And you'll want to bring somebody along with you. But today, I want to speak to you uh, on the subject of emptying your worry wagon and bringing it to Jesus. You know, a lot of us are, are faced with circumstances and with worry and, and problems in our life. And, 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 and the honest truth is, is that no matter what time of the year it is, it doesn't go away. Right? I mean, we talk about Easter, we talk about uh, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but then we never wake up the next day and we pick up worry and we keep going. You know, we, we talk about Christmas and we talk about all the wonderful things that happen around Christmas time and, and uh, all that kind of stuff, but no matter what season of life that we're in, we're always faced with this idea of worry. And today I want us to, just for a few moments, take that concept uh, of worry and literally, and, and I, I kind of use the, the funny analogy or the, the, the kind of thing of literally just kind of emptying it out and emptying it out into a wagon or emptying it out into something and literally just giving it to Jesus. I, I spoke to you uh, on several occasions about the passage of scripture where it talks about casting your care upon the Lord because he careth for you, kind of a fishing term and, and, and literally a casting. Well, well, sometimes literally we just have to, to empty it into something and put it away. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, in our home, we have three boys, two of them very small, and uh, they love wagons. We break the wagon out, and I mean, you're talking about hours of entertainment. You know, they push each other around. They get in. I mean, they go places. Oh, yes. 
They get in that wagon and they go to school. They get out of the wagon and they become the teacher. You know, they get back in the wagon, they go to Dairy Queen and they have ice cream. They go places in that wagon. But when the day is over, what happens to the wagon? We take the wagon and we put it away. We put it away, why? Well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, if we don't ever put it away, we'll never get them in bed. They'll play with the wagon all day long. It's got to be out of sight to be out of, ah, the same way it is with our worry. You see, we have to be able to take it and unload it into something and literally put it away so that we can get it out of our sight and out of our mind. And you say, Pastor, how do you do that? Because it sounds real easy the way you're explaining it. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, it is not easy. It is an act of deliverance. It is you determining that you are going to get rid and unload the worry that is in your life. And I believe with all my heart that the way that we do it is in two simple words. You say, Pastor, you've got a two-word formula. I do. And I'm going to share it with you this morning. But here are the two words that I want to resonate throughout this message. Here they are. You ready? Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. I want to this morning kind of give you an outline or a flow of how it is that when we consider Jesus, that we can empty our worry wagon. Our minds are constantly considering choices, opportunities, people, events, responsibilities, and more. There's constantly things on our minds. Uh, voices from every, de- uh, every direction call us to consider their message, their advertisements, their posts on social media. There are friends, there are families, there are our own constituted thoughts. They call us to consider, to give space in our minds and a moment of our attention. There's not, a, there's not a literally a second of the day that there is not something that is drawing your attention. That's something that is drawing you to consider. Now, now I know that uh, we live in a world that's very fast-paced, and we live in a world that's, that's uh, uh, media-oriented, and, and everything in our life t- tends to surround that. And, then, and then, there, then we get phone calls from friends and family, and there are our own uh, jobs and things that we have to consider. But when you wrap all of that up, and you wonder, how can I handle it all? It all comes down to two words. Instead of considering all of that, why don't we just consider Jesus? Why don't we just consider how he handled the circumstances and how he handled the the, the opportunities in his life? While there are many worthy people and causes to consider, there is one who easily gets crowded out of our everyday thoughts. There is one that that we push aside in many times in our lives, and that one is Jesus Christ. However, God's word specifically calls us to consider Jesus. Him. Today we're going to do just that. We're going to specifically look at who Jesus is. Now, you may say to me, Pastor, I know who Jesus is. I, I understand who he is. We, we, we've talked about him for years and years. And I understand his place. And I understand what he did for me. But have we ever considered him even more than a name that you call upon? I want you to see Jesus for who he really is. You see, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God, uh, part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But you understand that 2,000 plus years ago, that Jesus Christ took on the form of a man. 
He took on the likeness of a man. He was born. And now we are here to celebrate and that next week his death is burial and resurrection. But let's not forget the years in between. Let's not forget, yes, Jesus was born and yes, Jesus died. But Jesus was, was faced with circumstances. Jesus was faced with life just as we are faced with. And today I want us to consider how he handled that. So if you have your Bibles, if you will, if you'll take them and stand with me. Hebrews chapter number 12. We're not going to read a lengthy passage of Scripture. As a matter of fact, this is probably a very familiar passage of Scripture to most of you here today. But I want us to kind of revisit it and uh, gather our thoughts from it. Hebrews chapter number 12, starting in verse number 2. The Bible says that this, and, and, and here is uh, uh, the premise of my whole message, the first three words. What do they say? Looking unto who? Looking unto Jesus. Here we go. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the, what's the next word? Joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And here it is, verse number three. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Our Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for it being so applicable to us today. Lord, I pray most of all today that you will allow me just to get out of the way and allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak through me and uh, God that uh, you would do your work as only you can. Lord, as we consider Jesus today. Lord, we consider him in relation to the things that we are dealing with and are faced with in our personal lives. And God, I pray that we'll be encouraged because of the word of God and because of the things that you'll speak to us about. Lord, we love you, but most of all, we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. If you're in the habit of taking notes, on the back of your bulletin, there's an outline if you'd like to follow along. Number one, I'd like for you to consider his position. I'd like for you to consider his position. You say, Pastor, what is this? This is the foundation. You know, whenever we, we, we preach and we teach, I, I think so many times, and I've shared this with you before, that so many times as pastors, we, we, we give a lot of ideas and we give a lot of, uh, of thought processes through the passage of Scripture, but we never figure out, we never implant how to actually apply them to our lives. And I think that it's very important that we lay a foundation first, which is what we're going to do with considering his position. Then we'll look at his relationship, and then we'll see how we can ultimately apply it to our lives this morning. So number one, consider his position. Unfortunately, many people in America and even many churches today do not consider who Jesus really is. They know a little bit about God, but they do not consider Jesus. You say, Pastor, they're all in one. Yes, but consider him as we talk about his earthly life and his earthly ministry. They do not understand that Jesus is truly God who came to this earth in human flesh, died for the sins of all men, and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. Listen to me this morning, church. If you've got a problem in your life, you have someone that's listening. Let me say that again because I don't think you're awake this morning. I want you to know this morning that if you have a problem in your life, you have someone that's listening. 
He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible tells us that he's ever making intercession for us. In other words, he's listening to us. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're saying, Pastor, I've prayed about this in my life and I've prayed for it over and over and over and over and over again. But, but is God really listening? I'm telling you right now that God is listening. God is hearing. However, it's very important for us to know that sometimes when God's listening, he's also talking and we have to listen. Right? Because many times in our lives, we love talking, but it's that listening thing. It's that listening to God. You know, it's kind of like a husband and wife. You know, uh, uh, the ladies, and don't get mad at me this morning, I'm just going to be real with you, all right? The ladies, they like to share. And then they'll say, did you hear me? Yeah, that was a great game, wasn't it, honey? Right? And, 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 and there's a breakdown of communication. I think that's the same way that happens with God. I think we talk so much to God that we don't be still and know that he is God. That we don't stop and listen to what he has to say for us. First of all, when we consider his position, he is the preeminent one. You say, Pastor, that's a big word. What does that mean? He is the preeminent one. That, that simply means this, that, that he is surpasses all others. That he's very distinguished in some way. And this certainly is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is surpassing all others. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because I'm here to tell you this morning, in spite of what anyone has ever told you, we serve the only living God. We serve the only living God. Every other religion is serving a dead God. We serve a living God. He is preeminent. He surpasses all. He is, one, he is the one above all others. And he is worthy of our consideration. Our text calls him the author or the father of our faith. In other words, he is literally the originator of our faith. He is the originator. He is the, the, the beginning. He is the author of our faith. We would not have faith had it not been for him. There would be nothing to have faith in. So he, we got to consider that he's the preeminent one. He is the one that surpasses all. Acts chapter 5. This is a great uh, a couple of verses. You ought to write them down somewhere. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew, and ye hanged on the tree. Then look what he says in verse 31. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior. For to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. He is the preeminent one. Revelation, the Revelation of John, chapter number 1 and verse number 8, the Bible says this. I am Alpha, I am Omega, I am the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. He is preeminent. I love this thought. There are a total of 256 different names for God throughout the Bible. All through the Bible, Jesus Christ is lifted up as the preeminent one. So, you say, Pastor, what does that have to do with my worry? This is what I want you to get. We're building a foundation. If he's not number one, your worry will not take care of itself. If he's not number one, then you cannot give your worry to him. Are you with me? Because if he's not number one, then in our fleshly mind, the only other person that can be number one is me. 
And I'm the one that should be able to take care of the problem. And listen to me, that is not the way God designed us. God designed us to be rely or excuse me, to be reliant on him. We are to rely on Jesus Christ. Listen, uh, uh, some people have said, uh, I don't want to let the Lord down. Listen, the Lord is not, you're not holding the Lord up. The Lord is holding you up. You are the one that needs him. Remember, it's letter B. Not only is he the preeminent one, he's the perfect one. We're laying a foundation here. He's the perfect one. We're considering who Jesus is. We are considering Christ because he alone is the perfect one. He is the one who perfects, or in other words, he completes our faith. So listen to me. He is the author or the father of our faith. And so now, not only is that, he is the completer of our faith. He's the one that completes us. He will be faithful to finish the work that he has started in us. I want you to understand something this morning, and I really want you to get this. And I don't often say this this early in the sermon, but... If you don't get anything else I say out of this sermon, I want you to get this. This is what I want you to see. We are the ones who give up on God. God never gives up on us. Many times I've had people come and tell me, Pastor, God has forsaken me. No, 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 no. You have forsaken God. God never moves. The Bible says that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I change not. God does not give up on anyone. God is the one who originated your faith, and he is the completer of the faith. Where are we at in all this? We're the one running the race. And if we decide to drop out, that's not God's fault. He is not going to give up on you. He is your biggest cheerleader. He is the one that is there for you. He is the preeminent, perfect Savior. He loves you, listen to me, in spite of us. He loves me in spite of who I am. And by the way, he loves me unconditionally. He loves me just the way I am. Why does he love me like that, Pastor? Because he's the one that created me. He's the one that designed me. And he loves me just as I am. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know, I spent the last six days, many, many hours, sitting at the bedside of Miss Maggie. And I watched her as her work was being completed. And I wondered to myself, why is the Lord allowing this just to continue? And he's not here this morning, and, and I, I, I will tell him this so that you don't think that I'm talking behind his back. There's a young man that I met throughout this whole process. His name is David. And David and his beautiful wife, Cheryl, I met, them for the very first, I met him for the very first time in ICU with her before they, they took everything off of, of Miss Maggie. And I didn't know David, but I could see that there was something about David that was different. And as I sat with David and, and with Miss Maggie, and he began to talk to me, and, and, and for some reason the Lord just kind of uh, uh, just put us in, and, and bound us together where it was easy to talk to one another. 
And just to listen to David talk about his grandmother and the way her testimony changed his life. I don't know if he left her bedside for more than a couple of hours for six days. I watched him and I hugged him as he cried. And we laughed together and we talked. And all I could think of was this verse. Being confident of this very thing. That he who hath begun a good work and someone, the Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord of the death of his saints. A saint of God laying there taking her last breath. And her legacy will continue in a young man that has found a place in God that wants to make a difference. He will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I think this verse is very important because I think it's misinterpreted. It doesn't say until the day I die. It says until the day of Jesus Christ. Because my influence and my testimony and the impact that I have on other people's lives will continue until the day of Jesus Christ. And I love the word, the second one, being, what's the word? Confident, confident. The moment that you get saved, you are born of the Spirit. At that moment, the Holy Spirit begins working in you to make you more like Christ. This process, we refer it to as sanctification. It is becoming more like Christ throughout our Christian life. We cannot get any more saved than we were the day that we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Once I'm saved, I'm saved forever, and I'm saved as much as I can be saved. But I can constantly live my life in, in the shadow and in the light of Jesus Christ, being, being trying my best to, to be more like Him. Sanctification is the process that perfects or completes you. Due to the fact that God does this in your life, you can trust that He Himself is perfect in all His ways. And in all his works, his, his ways, first of all, his ways are perfect. And I'm, I'm going to kind of speed up here so I can get to our middle thought here. His ways are perfect. We may not all understand Christ's ways as he works through us, but we can have confidence that he is doing it to perfect us. He will often use trials and he'll often use testings to perfect us. And, and we may be tempted to doubt his love and his goodness. And when those times come in our life where we, we doubt what God is really doing, Trust the finisher of your faith. We've talked about it. That word is, he's sovereign. He's sovereign. Trust the finisher of their faith. Jesus Christ knows what he's doing. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse number 4. The Bible says, he is the rock and his work is what? Perfect. His work is perfect. Take a moment to consider how comforting it is that Christ's ways are perfect. We can find comfort during the most difficult times. We consider the fact that his ways are perfect. Not only are his ways perfect, but his work is perfect. His work is perfect. Uh, Warren Risby said it this way. Christ has already run this race of faith and conquered for us. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. What he starts, he finishes. He can see us through to victory. I love that. What he starts, he finishes. Aren't you thankful for that? He started by being born in a manger. 
Aren't you thankful that in a week we're going to celebrate that he finished? Because if he never finished, we wouldn't have the hope that we have today. He can see us through to victory. Jesus Christ is working to bring his will into your life. He will continue to work in you until your race is completed and you are with him in glory. In his position as the preeminent, perfect one, he has the power and authority to do his work in you. Number two, this is where I really want to kind of get to our foundation here, or past our foundation, is to consider his pattern. How do I unload my worries? How do I uh, consider him in that way? We know who he is now. So what did he do? We have to consider his pattern. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2, that's back to our passage. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the, what was the next word there? Joy that was set before him endured the cross. If that wasn't enough, he, he despised the shame. Listen to me, church. The Lord Jesus Christ, of all people on the face of this earth, could have been a person that was consumed with worry. Because all around him, people were trying to eliminate him. The enemy was trying to defeat him. But he recognized the power of God. From the very beginning of Christ's ministry, we see that he lived a pattern of walking in victory over temptation and over trials or suffering. Letter A, and this is where I really want to get to the meat of it, his victory over temptation. His victory over temptation. You know, many times we're faced with temptations in our lives or tests in our life. It, it could be the temptation of sin or it could be that God is testing us. We are all faced with those types of things in our life. And can I tell you this morning, listen to me, I really want you to see this, that we can have the victory over all of those things. We can have the victory over the temptation and over the testing if we will just follow the pattern of Jesus Christ. Many of us at some point have set some type of spiritual goal. Now I want to say to you that spiritual goals are vitally important for anyone who wants to have a mature relationship with Jesus Christ. You must set spiritual goals. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? We must decide that we are going to read our Bibles every single day of our lives. We must decide that we are going to pray. You say, Pastor, uh, those, are, those are such elementary goals. Yeah, the problem is, is that most adults have never passed the test. We, 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 are, we look at these and we think, oh, it's so easy to read our Bibles and pray. But can I tell you, sometimes it's easier not to. We've got to start setting for ourselves up spiritual goals if we want to have a mature relationship with Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you something. The enemy also knows about that. So the minute that we set our spiritual goals, he will begin fighting us. He will begin working against us. You know, many of you are just now, and I'm so thankful, uh, uh, your spiritual goal and just in talking to you, it, it, it's baby steps. Listen, I, I don't know any baby that's born into this world that goes from drinking their mother's milk to eating a T-bone steak. It doesn't happen. There's a process. There, there, it takes a while. You say, Pastor, uh, how long does it take? Well, can I tell you that I was 22 years old before I ate a T-bone steak? Relax. Are you with me? I'm just trying to be real with you. It takes time. 
We live in that microwave society where we literally want to do the same thing with our spiritual life. We want to put it in a microwave and set a time. And if when, the, when, the, when it dings, we expect ourselves to be spiritually mature. We're like, yeah, I got it. No, that's not the way it works. We got to set a goal, listen to me, that's attainable. Spiritual goals that are attainable. Things that I can do that are actually accomplished. Because this is what I love. I love when somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, I set a goal in my life and I accomplished it. And they're proud of it. You should be. So what do you do now? You set another one. And you accomplish it. And you set another one. You accomplish it. And you take that time to build your relationship with Jesus Christ. So we need to look to Jesus and his pattern of victory when the enemy fights in our lives against our spiritual goals. Even in time of severe temptation, Jesus Christ certainly saw the joy that was set before him. He had a goal. Between the start of his earthly ministry and the completion of redemption, he had to endure temptation. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted just like we are yet without sin. Without sin. He had to endure temptation. Just like Christ, we're going to have to endure temptation. And we are instructed to follow the pattern of Christ to overcome. We have a great synopsis of this pattern in Matthew chapter number 4. And I really don't have time to analytically break this down for you. But, but literally, here's Jesus, and he's been fasting, and he's been praying for 40 days. And the enemy comes and begins to tempt him. And I want us to just for a few moments, you can go home and read Matthew chapter number 4. I just want us for a few moments to consider his pattern of how Jesus took the worry and gave it back to God, his Father. How did he do that? Jesus not only demonstrated that he could not sin, but he also showed that he is the pattern for our endurance and of resistance to temptation. Number one, he was led by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 1, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be? Well, I, I, have, a, I have some friends that I went to Bible college with that they struggled with this passage of Scripture. Because why in the world would Jesus lead us into temptation? Do you see it? Look what it says. Then Jesus was led up of the Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. To be tempted of the devil. You say, Pastor, uh, is this true in my life? Am I going to face testing and trials in my life that literally I'm led to? Yes, you are. But can I tell you something? That Jesus says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He also says that we are more than conquerors to them that love the Lord. Listen, the, the old song is true. Victory in Jesus, my Savior, forever. Forever. When Jesus went into the wilderness, it was under the direction of the Spirit of God. As Jesus was led by the Spirit, we too must be led by the Spirit as we make every decision. You ready for this? Including our day-to-day -day ones. I think it's so important that we stop asking God only for the big things. This is what we have a tendency to do. We have a tendency to pray in crisis mode. And I've talked to you about that before. Where, where crisis happens and boy, we bathe that thing in prayer. I mean, we are all over it. I mean, we're praying nonstop for this tragedy or this crisis that's happened in my life. 
But the moment that we goes away, the moment that it disappears, and it's time to go buy a car, we don't pray about that. Right? Or it's time to figure out uh, uh, how we're going to handle this situation, or how am I going to handle this circumstance? And you say, Pastor, it's so trivial. God doesn't care about those. You're wrong. God cares about it all. And God wants you to be led by the Spirit. You know, when I was, when, I, when we first started having children, and uh, they begin to walk. And you know, they take that first step, and everybody's like, wow. We posted all over the place. We got the video showing everybody. They took their first step. Two weeks later, they come and they go, man, I wish they would have never took their first step. I can't keep up with them. But what do we do from the very moment that they can start walking? We get them out of the car. And immediately we say, hold my hand. Hold my hand. Don't get out of that car until I get over there. There's cars moving. Hold my hand. I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. I don't make my 13-year-old hold my hand anymore. But they get out of the car. And even if we're here at church and there is nobody around, do you know what they do? They wait and they immediately hold my hand. Why? Because from when they were really young, we taught them that safety is in the hand of their Father, right? You got ahead of me. You're already thinking, yeah, that's right. If I would just consciously, every day, put my hand in the Father's hand, it would no longer him be, be Him asking me to do it. It would be me knowing that their protection is right I need to be led by the Spirit every day of my life. Not only that, Jesus fasted and prayed. Jesus fasted and prayed. This is something that's not talked about in churches today. And and, uh, I, I believe, based upon what I know about Scripture, that this is still a very powerful way to see prayers answered. Is fasting and praying. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 1, Jesus was led by the Spirit. Verse number 2, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. He had fasted and he had prayed. Now, without question, Jesus' physical body was weak. He was, in fact, 100% man. So why did Jesus choose to fast? The Bible is very clear. It's very clear that there are certain miracles or certain prayers that come only by prayer and fasting. You say, Pastor, can you prove it? I'm glad you asked. Matthew chapter number 17. Let me give you a quick background of this passage of Scripture. There is a boy who is possessed with a demon. Matthew chapter number 17. The disciples come to the boy and they are trying to pray out the demon. Jesus is there. Here's what Jesus said. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, 
For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of a what? You say, Pastor, we know this verse. And, and this is a great verse. But let me ask you a question. Do you know the whole context? Because we love picking out one verse. But there are some more that surround it. Are you ready? Here it comes. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say into the mountain, remove hence to yonder place and it shall be removed and nothing shall be impossible unto you. We love that verse. But did you know there's a verse number 20? Watch this. How be it this kind, or excuse me, verse 20. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, remove the hinder place. Verse number 21. How be it this kind goeth not out but by by prayer and fasting. Jesus said the only way that this boy is going to be taken out, this demon is going to be taken out of this boy is by prayer and fasting. You say, Pastor, we're talking about possession here of, of an enemy. We're talking about being possessed. Can I tell you something this morning? And I want to be very cautious how I say this because some of you may take it the wrong way. But I believe many Christians, they're, they're, I believe with all my heart that as a Christian you cannot be possessed by the enemy. It is an impossibility because you are possessed by Jesus Christ. But I believe that you can become oppressed. I believe that you can become oppressed by the enemy. I believe that literally he can take over such a stronghold of your life that you become oppressed. And can I tell you that if we're not cautious and we get our place into a place like this in our life, the only way that we are going to release that from our life is by praying and fasting. Sometimes it just takes an all-out dedication to God to overcome the problems that we're having. There are certain answers to prayers that only come when we come to the Lord earnestly praying, Lord, more than I want this circumstance gone in my life, I want you. I want you. The root of fasting is a hunger for God. It is a homesickness for God. Number three, he not only was led by the Spirit, he not only fasted and prayed, but he quoted scriptures. The Bible says in Matthew chapter four, and when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. In verse number four, he said, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. If you continue reading in Matthew chapter number four, you'll find out that Jesus was tempted two more times. And in both times, he used scripture to defeat the enemy. Listen to me, church. Here's the pattern. The pattern says that in everything I do in my life, I'm going to be led by the spirit of God. The pattern is, is that I'm going to pray and I'm never going to give up. I'm just going to continue to pray. And when the enemy tries to defeat me, I'm going to quote scripture. In order to quote scripture, what do you have to do? You have to know it in your heart. As Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus quoted the word of God back to him. There is no victory over sin without the power of the sword of the spirit. Psalm chapter 119, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How are we going to clean it all up? By taking heed thereto according to what? Thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Verse number 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Let her be victory over trials. And I'm going to hurry. 
victory over trials. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. There are times when the process of enduring is the, is the very work of God that purifies our faith. God may be allowing a trial in your life to strengthen you. Your endurance will be God's way of bringing you to maturity. Number three, consider his passion. Consider his passion. This is our last thought for today. Just trying to build that foundation. And now we have application. And now we just need to top it off with a passion like his. The Bible says again, looking unto Jesus for the joy that was set before him. From our point of view, there was nothing attractive about an earthly ministry for Jesus. To leave heaven's glory was not appealing. There was nothing about the cross that was attractive. As a matter of fact, it was very painful. So what made him step down from his glorious throne in heaven to take on the form of a lowly servant and die for the sins of the world? What kind of passion compelled Jesus? First of all, he wanted to glorify his father. He wanted to glorify his father. He wanted to glorify God that had sent him. Christ's passion to glorify his father was greater than anything that would try to stop him from enduring the cross. The great joy that he would bring glory to the father. John chapter 17 and verse number 1, he says, My hour is come to glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. And then letter B, to redeem the world. To redeem the world. Why did Jesus do what he did? For the ultimate reason of redeeming the world. The phrase set before him in our passage teaches us that Christ was appointed to do this work. It was his purpose to fulfill. What was it to fulfill? To fulfill the cross. You say, Pastor, what's the application? Here it is and I'm done. We are going to have worries and struggles in our life. But the first thing that we have to do is we have to recognize the foundation. That Christ is the preeminent and the perfect one. And then we have to take Christ's pattern. He was led by the Spirit. He prayed and he fasted. And then he quoted scriptures. And then thirdly, you and I both have a purpose to fulfill. So what was his passion? His passion was to fulfill the purpose that God had given him. Can I tell you something this, church, this morning, church? God has given us all a mission. Some of the missions are individual. God has appointed you to do something. But we also have a global mission. Can I tell you that God wants nothing more than to see us have victory in fulfilling that purpose in our lives. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thank you for listening so well this morning. You've been so patient.